Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're talking about a cookbook database. Now, databases might not sound very bookish, but I can assure you they are very important in my world of online book selling. After all, Abe Books is a searchable database. Now, the Sifter is a collaborative, multi-language database designed to help people with food-related questions. It includes over 8,000 authors and more than 7,000 works with details about the authors and the contents of their works. The data mostly concerns cookbooks, but there's also information about other written documents about preparing and eating food. I am joined by uh, a big gang today. We have Barbara Ketchum Wheaton, Kathy Kaufman, Kate Sains, and Joe Wheaton, who are all from the Sifter. Welcome, everybody. Very Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Thank you for uh, joining me. So perhaps we can start with uh, you all introducing yourselves and just briefly saying what you do at the Sifter. Uh, I'm Barbara Wheaton, and what I do is sit at my computer all day and put information into the sifter. And at this point, it's mostly book titles and uh, lists of ingredients that are in cookbooks and descriptions of cooking techniques. Uh, they are mostly French, English, German, and Italian, but I'm looking forward to the day when we get people contributing in languages that use other writing systems and uh, will be both contemporary and reaching back into antiquity. My name is Kathy Kaufman. Uh, I am a culinary historian and an adjunct uh, lecturer in food studies at uh, the New School in New York. Uh, my involvement with the Sifter is as part of the advisory board uh, helping to shape the process. Uh, Barbara has been much too modest in her description. She is the absolute brainchild and inspiration and originator of this entire project. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of it and to make my occasional contributions mm -hmm to the database and to uh, help bring it to fruition so food scholars such as myself and others can take the benefit of the sifter. I'm uh, Kate Sains or Catherine Sains and um, I, I'm a librarian. I work, um, I used to work as a software tester and have been using uh, that background to work with the programmers and also with my mother. I started out working with my mother trying to develop the tables for uh, her concept of the sifter and eventually we actually were able to find some uh, real programmers and get it into place. So I've been helping with the testing. I'm Joe Wheaton. Um, I started with mom uh, doing the traveling road show when she was first introducing the sifter around the country and in Europe. And um, right now I've been working on helping to uh, streamline the user interface, 
with Kate and um, working on uh, visual graphics and stuff to make it look like something people might be interested in delving into. Excellent. Okay, let's get going with the first question, which is a basic one. What information is available in the sifter? It starts out with cookbooks or uh, manuscripts, uh, the and includes. Uh, it's then it becomes broken down by. So first you put the author in, then their works, details about the works, um, where it was published, what language it's in, um, and then you go into more granular granular detail with the sections and that um, lays out all what is actually in the book or the manuscript. So you would have a title page, chapter headings, and then recipes. And then the level below that would be the details. And that would be uh, the specific details for each ingredient. Um, and what is done with that recipe, what is done with that ingredient in the recipe. Or in the case where you have an illustration, it would be a description of the illustration. So if I searched on something like quail pie, what would I see? Uh, you would come up with a results screen and you have a series of tabs with the author, um, works, sections, and then details. And they eat on each page, anything that's re relevant to uh, quail pie or the references that would be on, on each page. So if there are authors that write about quail pie, it would be on the author would show up. If there are books about quail pie, it would show up on the works page. And then if you have recipes, it would show up on the section page. And on each page, it gives you all the details relevant to that, either the author or the work or the section or the detail. So, and there are lots and lots and lots of details uh, related to author, where they're born, uh, when, when they died, when, if you don't know that, when they were active. We can also add organizations and um, also that, and, and other comments also. So it sounds like a, a remarkable historical archive, but where does all of this information come from? I, I, what I w was using at first when I began making the database was books from uh, from the 17th and 18th century that I had collected over time, and I was trying to see how they related to each other. And I, it's not something you can make easy generalizations about until you deal with all these little grains of sand. But if you look at grains of sand, they will you will begin to realize that they come from a lot of different kinds of rock. And similarly, all the stuff that goes into a recipe uh, comes from various pieces of people's civilizations. 
So, Barbara, your personal collection was the origin, was the foundation for the database, correct? Uh, no, it, it formed in, in the process of my working on it. We were living in near Cambridge, and I had access to the Harvard libraries, including the rare book library, which has the earliest cookbooks ever printed. And I was able to go in there and read these wonderful things. And because I liked cooking and I liked feeding people. And I, I had come to this from the, studying the history of art. And I began to realize that like, like art, food is a cultural artifact. And it is marked, what people do with it is shaped by when and where they were living. And it's one more light on people's lives and on civilizations. So, Barbara, when did you start doing this? I started doing this when my children were in nursery school. Uh, back in I'm the 92. Quite a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to run. I mean, I'm only 89. I have plenty of time. Hmm. <laughs> or not. And I, I'm having fun doing this. I'm, you know, the more you learn, the more things you see. And okay. I, I had, I thought I was going to be an art historian, and somehow I, I got into this because I, I was at home with children and I could cook, but I couldn't get to the library very easily. And and or the art museum. This is Joe. Uh, also, um, a neighbor was Julia Child, who gave her the keys to her house when they went out to Santa Barbara and let her read through all of her uh, books. Now, because Julia Child's cookbook collection was, remar is, was remarkable, correct? It was big. And she left it to the Schlesinger Library at Radcliffe, right. which is where I've done much of my research there and in the Harvard libraries. The rare book library, especially for the books that were that are very hard to come by. But nowadays, right. many people can do research in food history because so much stuff has been digitized. I mean, Kathy, you know this teaching. Well, exactly. Uh, this is Kathy. I'd like to take the sort of 30,000 foot view of what the sifter does and how it helps all of us doing research. If you're going to look at the sifter, Kate has very nicely laid out all of the different details and very granular bits of information that you can find. Uh, but what the sifter really does for you, it's so aptly named, is tell you where you can now go to learn about these specific dishes. Uh, so Richard, your question of, wanting to research quail pie. If I were to plug that into the sifter, I would get all sorts of hits in terms of places where quail pie appears, assuming people have entered into the sifter database information that there is a quail pie recipe in this particular cookbook. So we are a little bit dependent, uh, like in a Wikipedia situation, of the general public and users adding data into the various forms. But once you make that search for your quail pie, 
you will be directed to the various cookbooks where it appears. You will be uh, given the name of the author of those cookbooks, assuming it's not an anonymous work, and you will be able to learn much more about that particular dish and be given avenues for further research. Um, it will not give you the be-all and end-all ultimate answer, but it will constantly open more doors for you for things to be looking at and other avenues to research. So perhaps someone can tell me uh, what's the earliest cookbook or, or potentially how far back can you go? Uh, this is Kathy. Uh, I will do that because Barbara has tasked me with entering into the database a very, very early cookbook, possibly the earliest one we have, which is based on some tablets that are held at Yale University in their rare collection. Um, they're cuneiform tablets, and they are recipes that date back to ancient Mesopotamia, probably about 1700 BCE, so quite, quite some time ago. Uh, I've done a little bit of work with the recipes. I don't read cuneiform, but they have been translated by scholars who do, um, so that would probably be the earliest uh, piece that will ultimately be in the sifter. Right now we are dealing with a Greek uh, cookbook that we have unfortunately only in fragments uh, by a gentleman named Archistratus and it goes back to roughly the third or fourth century BCE. Uh, it's been translated as the life of luxury, uh, and it's an actual uh, guide to the best seafood and other dishes around the Mediterranean. Um, so if you were to plug in uh, mullet into the database, you should get a hit for Archistratus talking about the best mullet that you get in certain Greek cities. Amazing. So it, it truly is an international database, is that correct? Oh, yes. You know, now nowadays with the internet, this is Barbara again, with the internet you can enter data in something like 103 different writing systems. And what we do is you put it in exactly as it appears in the real document. And then you also put it in in the standard modern version of that language. And then you put it in in English. So you can search in English across as many languages as are represented in the database. And this is Joe speaking just to uh correct that slightly, we have a list of about 2,600 words that basically are the, um, the uh, terminology used in most Western cookbooks. And that we have translated into 20 or 30 languages, but eventually over 100. So that when uh, ingredients and methods and things are searched for in Japanese, those references will come through on any language that the researcher is interested in uh, getting information about. So it, it will have the ability to search languages the user is not able to read. Who is the, the target user for the database? I, this is Barbara again. I'd like to answer that because I first 
came up against the not being able to find adequate information for something I wanted to research when I was in sixth grade. And I was so frustrated by that, that it, it has nudged me ever since. And I, I, I like to think that there will be a sixth grader somewhere who's doing a project and they need to find a medieval recipe and they'll be able to do it because I, I would like them to have what I wanted to have at that age. But I also, I'm, I'm, I am pretty sure that serious scholars will be working on it, and I very much hope adding to it. And uh, people in other countries uh, who want to know how how their country, how their local cuisine is is the same as other places, and how it's different, because there are often surprises when once you start doing research. Uh, yes. Kathy speaking, um, I have a perfect example of how the sifter might be used that arose in one of my classes last week when a student said that a colleague of hers was trying to research the use of lime in Peruvian cuisine. Did oh. I know any online sources where she could go to find out about lime in Peruvian cooking? Well, I told her, and I don't know if she was successful, but I said, try the sifter. Try plugging it in and seeing if you get anything. It will depend upon how extensive the database has been built out, how much there is about Peruvian cuisine. But at some point, that question would be easily answered by every hit about Lyme and Peru showing up. We hope to. Um, do with the sifter is have uh, data visualization. So, you know, when you get results, it'll be easy to see kind of paths and patterns of ingredients, how they spread um, around the world, you know, the ebbs and flows, the disappearance of things that had existed at one time and are no longer. So that I think is another feature that's going to, because, you know, right now it's, you know, we're starting with a basically empty Wikipedia and it really is dependent on people adding uh, data to it. But, if, you know, I think Wikipedia started in 2001 and now it's really a, a you know, the go-to source for a lot of information so i think you know the more we can encourage people to if they don't see something they you know that they're looking for put put it in another group of people this is kate talking um are people who do reenactments of particular period meals there's there's a oh, yeah. lot of people who have signed up to do that um but there are also uh, cooks who are looking to explore certain areas. There are also individuals who have a particular interest in an author and they want to investigate their books a little further. So um, it's a but great also, diversity of people who, who will find it useful, I think. This is Joe again. Urban planners, people interested in environment and uh, ingredients, again, coming and going. Uh, scientists, people who are uh, working on uh, 
populin, uh, population migration is sometimes visible through ingredients moving. Oh, this is Barbara again. Uh, and one example of that would be in the middle of the 19th century, German people or German speaking people moving into the Midwest. And you begin to get not only German type food in the cookbooks, but there I know of at least one book that was published in, I think, Milwaukee in German in the 1840s. Right. I was going to ask why food history is important, but I think you've just answered that question also. It's a silly question. It's like asking why is history important because it tells us about where we could go and what we've done. So uh, I think we can skip that question. Oh, All right, oh, so I, go I ahead, Barbara. Stupid questions is really important. If you don't- Good, because that's what I do. You have to be brave and ask the question because you're going to learn something and then you'll be that much less stupid. Indeed. <laughs> Keep asking questions. All right, then. So it looks like you're now looking for collaborators to add content, Wikipedia style. Is that true? How do they do it? Joe, you know more about this than I do. Uh, basically, anybody can um, add. It is free for anybody to use. Um, all they have to do is enter their name and email address and then confirm with they'll get an email um, and they have to reply to that. And then they are free to add data. They can also edit data. So if they find something that is incorrect, we are counting on people to make those corrections. Um, but, you know, it could be, a, you know, they don't have to do the entire contents of a book. They can start by doing, you know, an author and maybe a work. Um, they could, you know, do as much or as little as they want. You know, the, we have menus and manuscripts and uh, you name it, just added a whole bunch of um, confectionery manuals. And, you know, eventually we'll get into artwork and um, that sort of thing. But I, I would really encourage people to, especially if they don't see something, all the more reason um, to do, to add something. This, this is Barbara. Again, I just wanted to say that so many things have been digitized. In many cases, in for many languages, virtually everything has been digitized by commercial companies. But you have to have a PIN number, which you get by being attached to an, some kind of institution, or you have to pay a whopping big fee. But the sifter refers you to sources that are available online for everybody because I want everybody to have access. A database for the people, for the cooks. Uh, yeah, or anybody who exactly. is interested in, uh, I, I really think of it as cultural anthropology. It's an insight into people. Food is at the center of everything we do. Okay. And books are also at the center of what we do. So my final question for all of you is, can you tell me what book or books are you currently reading? I will start. This is Kathy, because this is something that Barbara uh, turned me on to. Um, and only in our pandemic situation have I had the time to go to the Dorothy Dunnett 
eight volume series on the house of Niccolo. It is pure, wonderful escapism following the life of an invented swashbuckling character throughout Europe in the 15th century, how he arises from obscurity to be the head of uh, a fabulously wealthy uh, banking house. So I'm getting my escapism there. I'm in volume five of the eight volume series. Uh, I will uh, pipe up, this is Joe. I am not reading anything right now because I've been unable to concentrate, but I am enjoying very much going through um, Fellini films. And last night watched Almodovar outdoors on a 30 foot screen under heaters. Excellent. <laughs> Kate, what are you reading? Uh, let's see. The last thing I read was uh, was called Our Best Hope about um, a biologist and his views about uh, ecology. And uh, it's sort of a, a new idea about how, how to encourage insects to build up our biosphere. Barbara? Uh, this is Barbara. I I am about to launch yet again on reading a whole bunch of novels by Terry Pratchett. Oh, yes. Very good. So quite fiction. I am a real Terry Pratchett fan. That's, that's a good diverse selection there. All right. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, many thanks to Barbara, Kathy, Joe, uh, and Kate. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Now, if you want to check out their work, go to thesifter.org. The, T-H-E, sifter, S-I-F-T-E-R.org. And you can go and have a look. Put in some search terms and have a look. Uh, thank you all for joining me. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank, you, Thank you so much. Thank you very much. A real pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast.